Imbued with the cursed gift of immortality, the invincible half-human, half-vampire hybrid Blade embarks on an endless mission to rid humankind of the bloodsuckers that infest the Earth. Suppressing his feral thirst for human blood, the preternatural Daywalker crosses paths with the megalomaniac vampire Deacon Frost, whose ambitious plans threaten to end the world as we know it. Now, Blade, his loyal mentor Whistler and acquired ally Dr. Karen Jensen seem to have met their match. Can they put an end to Deacon's nightmarish scheme, or will vampires rule the world under the blood god La Magra? Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 35th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had a theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Blade. And with me today to discuss the Daywalker's debut on the big screen is Mr. Chris Mao. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Uh, doing wonderful. How you doing today, Nick? I'm doing wonderful, thanks, Chris. And of course, you know, I want to thank you so, so much for taking your time out to be a guest co-host on the podcast today. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, we're very, very happy to have you with us. Well, Chris, as you are, as this, of course, is your first time here on Happiness and Darkness, um, what we usually ask our first-time guest co-hosts is, when it came, comes to comics and superhero movies, what would you say was your gateway into this world? And do you still read or did you read comics back in the day? So I, I never was really that big of a comic book reader, but I've always loved superheroes. So my gateway into all of this was watching Batman as a child, uh, the Batman 66 that they used to have on, you know, some of the stations that I grew up here in Chicago. Um, and so I, I watched Batman and was hooked. And then, you know, it became Spider-Man and then became whatever I was. I, I was also always a big science fiction guy. Um, so I always liked science fiction kind of stuff, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, whatever have you. And so I think they're a great marriage and they lead to, to watching each other. So that's where I got into it and came down the line that way. Oh, that's that's definitely always a good place to start. Batman is always a great place to start for sure. And today we're reviewing Blade, as I mentioned, from 98, directed by Stephen Norrington, whom our listeners may know for having directed the cult horror film Death Machine and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The story is by David Goya. The original score is by Mark Isham and also features some great 90s hip hop artists. Interestingly here, Chris, the Prodigy were approached to do the soundtrack, which would have been epic, at least I, I feel, but they had to bow out due to other commitments. And so on estimate, this film cost around $45 million to make, and it made $131.2 million at the box office. So uh, definitely a great turnout for this film indeed. Did we enjoy it? We shall see. So for, uh, obviously, for the first question here is, Chris, why did you decide to pick Blade to bring to the table? Oh, well, you know what, I, I, I love the movie, um, and I'll tell you a little bit of story about it. I remember seeing it, uh, I love to go to movies opening night. I, I think there's like something magical about being, you know, I, I don't want to say one of the first people to see it, but to see it before all the spoilers come out, before anybody else does it, so I try to go as early as possible. Um, you know, the, the, whenever it opens up here in the States, I, I love to go. If it's the night before that it's supposed to open, I, I, I go. Um, and so I remember being in this theater, you know, I, I, I loved, I didn't know much about Blade cause I wasn't, you know, didn't read the, um, the comic book or, you know, any of the graphic novels or anything like that. But I, I, I always liked Wesley Snipes. So I'm mm -hmm. like, 
I'm going to go see this movie. It looks cool. It's vampires. What, you know, give it a shot, see what's going on. And I remember being mesmerized watching the movie and how cool he was, how cool the character was. I thought the story was great. And then it's one of the few movies, uh, especially back then in, you know, 1998, um, superhero movies weren't really that big, you know, Batman's kind of stuff, but not, not, there wasn't much Marvel that was going on that was any good. And I remember the audience standing up and giving it a standing ovation. And that's how I felt about, I, I was one of the first ones up and it was just epic to me. And so I, you know, when I got the opportunity and you sent the call out to talk about it, I felt that I would love to to speak with you. So that's where we're going from there. <laughs> well, I, that's a wonderful story indeed. And I love that the, the movie actually got a standing ovation. That's wonderful. And, oh, yeah. so, and so before we actually get to our players on the board here, Chris, I was thinking about this, you know, as I saw the box office return for this film and the evident success it enjoyed. And I do think we should kind of put this film into context because you touched up on this a little bit. The vampire genre, of course, was enjoying a lot of success in the 90s. You know, as we mm-hmm. had Dracula, Interview with the Bam- Vampire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, both the movie and the TV show, which had been running for about a year. And, you know, seeing the obscurity of the character for the mainstream audience, do you think that the popularity of vampire movies is also to credit for this film's success? And are, are you or were you a fan of the vampire genre at the time? I, I was. I mean, I you know, like I... Like I had mentioned earlier here in the interview, um, I, I've always liked that sci-fi kind of fantasy stuff. So I, I think Vampires was a great, um, you know, was a great, uh, you know, uh, genre to be into and, and great setting. And this wasn't the same kind of vampire. It wasn't the, you know, I'm the Dracula, I lurk in the night. Um, this was very topical. It was very hip. It was you know, one of the first movies, not the first movie, but it was really cool to be a vampire. I mean, that first scene where you go into the nightclub, you're just like, oh my gosh, being a vampire is awesome. And, you know, I mean, Buffy kind of made it a little bit kind of cool. Um, not the, 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 the movie as much, but the TV series with Angel and all that stuff where it got to. But I mean, I think it, uh, I think they just made it sexy and, um, you know, Blade himself was just, an ass kicking if i can say that uh superhero and it was great so i'm sorry i didn't know if it was swearing or not so if not i'll I'll turn it down so no no it's totally fine it's totally fine you know i love your enthusiasm i think that's wonderful you know if that's you know we love how people you know express their enthusiasm and clearly (laughs) love this film and so let's start off with as we often do here in the podcast by looking at our hero and protagonist wesley snipes as eric brooks blade granted in the, you know, for our listeners out there, he is rather different from his comic counterpart. But, you know, what, you know, you already, I got, I got a vague idea of what you felt about him. But what did you think of the Daywalker that we got in this film? Well, he, I think he was great. I mean, I, you know, he, whoever plays that role in whichever way you want to take it, I think you have to have charisma. And he definitely has charisma. I mean, he's a good looking guy, um, you know, for being you know, early kind of in the, that, the, the upscaling of the fight sequences in movies, his, you know, his, um, martial arts were pretty good. It was pretty, you know, it was a, it was decently violent without being over the top grotesque. Although, you know, there is a lot of blood and there's a lot of that going on. Um, but it wasn't ridiculous. I thought it was well within character within the scope of what it was. And so I just thought he was, I mean, I thought he was great. Like I said, you know, there was a standing ovation at the movie and, 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 and I don't want to say to get off topic, I, I 
firmly believe that Marvel Comics would not have the run that it has now if Blade hadn't been a success. I think with Blade being as successful as it was in that early part, that led to them being able to greenlight Iron Man and all that stuff. So I think that kind of started it. So You make a very good point because this was actually the very first Marvel movie that actually got the success that it did. And so mm-hmm. I do agree with you when you say that it probably did pave the way for what then would become the MCU indeed. Right. And, you know, though our listeners might not know, the Blade in the comics, though being you know, very brave and bold, is much more of an everyman compared to, let's say, this action hero that we get here. You know, it's almost more of a Tony Stark, as it were. So he does love, you know, does have trouble playing with others and even more fanatical in his hatred of vampires compared to here, though we know he's not a big fan here either. But also, I thought the Daywalker concept, you know, in the comics, it comes in much later, as at first he's just a regular human who's immune to vampire bites. And so he's almost more like Batman, who I know you're a fan of. And, you know, he has to deal with vampires who are faster and stronger than he is. And in the comics, he actually becomes a Daywalker as he's bitten by Morbius, a name our listeners might have heard recently, as Sony will be releasing his solo film where Jared Leto will be playing Morbius. So who knows? Maybe the new Blade will be played by Mahershala Ali may take an appearance in that film and get his comic book origin. Who knows? But a lot of maybe. But uh, in this case, though, we got the Daywalker being born from his mother being pregnant with Blade and having been bitten by Deacon Frost. Now, as you know, it was a very quick and brief origin story. But did you like this concept of, you know, the the pregnant woman being um, bitten by a vampire and thus he inherits these characteristics or these traits yeah. of the vampire. I think it was a good bridge without getting, it wasn't hokey. That's kind of believable in the way that they set it up. I mean, you know, it's not like you turn automatically that, you know, and as we learn further in the series, there's actually a process to the turning. Um, and I think, I, I thought it was acceptable and especially in the, with the newness of the genre, you know, with the, the, the way this worked, it, it, it worked for me. It, it, you know, it didn't, they didn't need to spend 15 or 20 minutes of a, of a couple hours explaining that that was good enough and let's go. So, yeah, it, it does very much get into the action. I think it is also maybe a product of the 90s because, you know, this blade is very much that kind of almost has those traits of the 90s action hero. And, right. you know, though it can seem a little bit campy by today's standards, you know, but having grown up in the de- in that decade, I, like you, I love this action hero Blade because, you know, we got, he's kind of a mix to me of Rambo and Jean-Claude Van Damme mixed yep. together, which I thought was a joy and fun to watch. I mean, were you, you know, a, fa- a fan of those kind of action heroes? Oh, absolutely. Those- I mean, come on, Van, Van Damme has two of the best, Martial arts, not not to the best martial arts ever, but uh, um, you know, I mean, his couple of his early movies are unbelievable, just because it was different, and you know, his flexibility and the things he did were great. And I, I, I always thought it was kind of like a, I think it was those guys that you had mentioned earlier, but I, I, I had that diehard kind of feel too, that you know, the guy gritting it out against all odds, you know, that kind of every man, but obviously he was more special, like Batman or. You know, like, you know, there's a lot, lot of will. And I thought, you know, the other people that you mentioned were really good, too. Um, so I thought there was, you know, there was a lot there. And it made it believable, too. Um, you know, he was strong, but not in, impervious. You know, there was a lot of good, good things from him. Mm. Yeah, because we did feel that, you know, he, he did have some vulnerability. And though he is rather aloof and distant, which is rather Batman-ish, 
yeah. the same time, you know, you also do have that kind of pure Marvel um, characteristics. You know, he has these quippy, snarky comments. He right. does have a sense of humor. And also, it doesn't hurt that Wesley Snipes is a proficient martial artist and is yeah. able to show off his incredible skills, both in hand-to-hand -hand combat and when it comes to wielding the sword and any of the numerous toys we get. Also, I like that we got this deeper story of the misfit, you know, who may be seen as a freak by humans and, and right. is feared by them. But also he is rejected by the vampire community as well, you know, which he right. also rejects. So I think it's almost hard for Blade to find his place in the world, which could account for him shutting himself from either the vampire community or the human community. Though we see he does have a few trusted friends. Sure. Like, there's one, there was one situation that, which I thought was a bit funny, which was the guy who runs the rather odd store where you can buy the, all sorts of curios. And yeah. it seems to be, he seems to be like Blade's main supplier for his serum. But right. he, he gives it to him in, in exchange for Rolex watches. Right. So I was wondering here, is Blade fueling a black market? Sure. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's all kind of be kind of under the... I think it's all under the table and so subversive that he has to, he can't, you know, until he meets the doctor, until she actually can come up with a better serum for him, that he's doing whatever he needs to do. And some guys, you know, maybe he's a, a, a drug manufacturer himself and he just stumbled upon this and, and helped him out. But it also seems like they have a, a, a brotherly relationship and he's really trying to help him. But then, yeah. you know, when he makes that statement, especially the first time we see him, he goes, yeah, I have a feeling that you would become, you know, uh, immune to the um, to the serum. And he's kind of sad about that. I think that gave some humanity to Blade. So, you know, it's oh. humanity to the character and that he's not invincible, that he is susceptible and can cannot survive this or might might not. So, yeah, very, very, for sure. And um so let's get to the man who makes all of Blade's marvelous toys. And though I know it has become somewhat of a hackneyed comment and comparison here on the podcast, he is very much Blade's cue, I think. Absolutely. And his, his Alfred all rolled into one. And of course it is Chris Christopherson as Abraham Whistler. Mostly, of course, our listeners might know him for being a famed country music singer and songwriter, but he also did claim a, gain acclaim in the cinematic world. Yes. as for his role in A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand, which, of course, our listeners might have seen the reimagined version in 2018 with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. So yes. when it came to the character of Abraham Whistler, what did you think of him? And are you a country music fan? I am not a country music fan, but I like Chris Christopherson. Um, you know, it's not all country is not my cup of tea, but. If I like a if I like a song, it doesn't matter what genre it is. Um, and 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 I liked him in like like you were mentioning earlier. I, I liked him in A Star Is Born. I you know, I think he's got that unique kind of gruff kind of you know that 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 uh, you know that uh, ornery kind of older sidekick guy uh, that helps out the younger or you know the younger person. I I I thought it was a good thought it was good casting. I thought he did a great job and you know to kind of show him with the knee brace where you know he's been beat up by his fight against the vampires and then he's the one helping Blade, you know, making his cars and doing all that stuff is pretty cool. So and the Q, you know, I was thinking about that. Q is another good one, but every superhero has that person who does that for him. Alfred, um, you know, even Tony Stark has Jarvis. Um, you know, even though it's a lot of Tony Stark's ideas, Jarvis really helps him realize those ideas. So, you know, it, it's, I think it was a good character. Oh, yes. You know, granted, you know, 
this, uh, th- th- there's another movie which came out nine years after this, but I did liken this character somewhat to Sam Elliott's Carter Slade, the caretaker, in the first Ghost Rider film. You know, and yep. As in my mind, these two movies are almost part of a proto-MCU. As I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've seen the first Ghost Rider film, but I could so see Carter Slade and Whistler at a table drinking whiskey and comparing notes as these two kind of good old Southern Texas boys would do. Um, sure. But, but uh, that aside, I think it's interesting to note that Whistler is actually a David Goya original creation for this movie. Oh, wow. And though before this, he had actually debuted in an episode of Spider-Man, the animated series, uh, we only got to see a comic version of this character in the early 2000s. So it was kind of an original creation. And when it came to sort of the relationship between um, Whistler and Blades, did you like the relationship they had going on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, you know, I think it's 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 always got to be hard. Um, where Blade, it's very obvious that he's seeking his peace with where he is in life, where, you know, he's studying you know, he's doing all the meditation and all that stuff where he's embracing kind of that Japanese oriental lifestyle um, where he's trying to look for his Zen and his center and trying to be a good person because obviously he could eat, you know, he, he does have that thirst. So he could be eating people or eating, um, you know, taking it off of, of animals or things like that, but he's choosing to, you know, not, not pursue that and, you know, get the serum and then unless he really, really has to. You know, which he does at the end, um, you know, where he takes human blood and does it because he doesn't want to be that kind of animal. He just wants to be, you know, because he's walking between both worlds. I think he's looking for a way to exist in both. So, um, you know, I think I think I think the relationship is good. I mean, you know, it's obviously the um, the guy who's trying to teach the the younger buck, you know, it's that mentor mentee kind of relationship. But it's obvious that the ment the mentee, the you know the 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 pupil is um, obviously more powerful than the mentor. So, you know, yeah. but there's just you know there's differences. But it's it, it's good. I I had no problem with it. it. It didn't seem forced. It didn't seem it seemed appropriate. You know, was he a little bit over the top, kind of being a jerk? Yeah, but I can also see why he would be that. You know, because mm-hmm. he is re- really uh, under the gun when it comes to fighting vampires, and it's obviously that he's been hurt badly by that. Oh, yes, which we do also find out about when he when, you know, I think I believe Blade shares what uh, what Whistler went through. And, you know, what we do, we do get the impression, like you were mentioning uh, very well said, as by the way, is that his raising of Blade must have been a rather strict one. You know, we can very much tell that he has a lot of love for him and literally considers him as a son. But, you know, he might come off as being somewhat of a grouchy and sour old man at first. But I think once we get to know him, I think one can tell that behind that rough exterior, he has a kind and good heart and is essential in the fight against vampires. Not to mention that aside from making some amazing weapons, he's very well read in vampire lore and evidently has some med- medical knowledge, too. And, you know, like you were mentioning about the uh, you know young buck and, and mentor, as it were. I also found it rather parental as well, as sure. you know, I think. He knows that Blade can handle himself, and you also have to love the back-and-forth tart remarks that him and Eric throw at each other. Sure. Also, you know, you'd think that if they're organizing a covert operation together, they would have found somewhere more secluded or harder to break into. I mean, yes. granted, it's not as bad as the Arrow Cave or Star Labs in the CW, 
But you would think they have they would have better security even for the 90s. I mean, what did you think of, should we say, their lair and, and you know, the should we say the rather lapsed security in that sense? Oh, yeah. Just driving around, absolutely. Um, You know, I mean, yeah, you would think that because you would, you know, it, maybe that's that's also looking at it from hindsight because I remember seeing it and thinking it was, hey, this is a cool idea. But, yeah, I mean, as you go further and look at it, it's kind of dated. Yeah, oh, well, we're going to just do it in this abandoned unparted use of this industrial area that anybody can follow the car home if they want and anybody could trace it and you know there's a, a little bit of technology gap there but you know it, it it works but it obviously sets it forward for what's going to happen oh yes of course of course definitely i mean it definitely then sets it up for what we will get and um, of course so um I, that, that said um, let's get to the third member of the trio and who conveniently is a hematologist, Nabushi Wright as Dr. Karen Jensen. Now, mm -hmm. what did you think of our of our third character and um, you know the, what she brings to the film? Well, you know, I, I mean, obviously, just like all of these stories, there are some convenient things that just kind of fall into place. And that's where we fall into the story, because she happens to be bitten. He can save her. She reminds him of his mother. Um, it's at the hospital. I mean, there's a lot of those convenience things, but I think she, she adds to her own and she's not the typical femme fatale where she just kind of, you know, wilts and does that. She, hang, she, she sticks up for herself and is, is game for what's coming on and is, is, you know, part of the team and, you know, tries to do her part. Obviously not knowing what world and what awaits her by getting into that, but she gets a little taste of it and she holds her own. I, I definitely do think she holds her own. I mean, she's definitely a formidable woman, not to mention one could say, you know, you know, we talk about the convenience that she is a hematologist and she turns out to be quite an asset to both Blade and Whistler, you know, coming up with the new ideas and techniques on how to kill the vampires. And I think it's a shame that she did not reprise her role after this, as it could have been interesting to see where this trio would go from here on out. And I'm assuming that at this point she she probably could have been cured of her vampirism after Blade took her blood. You know, so they are they did leave that kind of in the air a little bit. But also speaking of Blade taking her blood, let's talk about the bloodletting scene, as it were. Now I don't know about you, Chris. Was it just me? Did you find this as well that Stephen Norrington was trying to simulate a sex scene between Blade and Karen with all the moaning and panting? Yeah, I think they I think they added some of that to add to the suspense or add to the you know to build you know to build up that scene. Um I mean there you know there's it just didn't seem like if if it was just going to be like purely sex, it did not seem to be within especially the Blade character, the Wesley Snipes or that they built for this this um this uh the movie um where that wouldn't just satisfy it. So I think it had to be something more intimate and obviously something that was very dear to her and very dear to him uh, to to make it work. You know, I, 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 it wasn't gratuitous. It just was there. Um, it wasn't like you, you, you had to have, you know, I hate to say Game of Thrones it up where you put naked people all over the place. Not, you know, I don't say not that I minded, but especially well, back then, I don't think they life. could have. Yeah, but you know what I mean? It, did, it didn't seem... Too, I hate to say too over the top. I mean, was it there? Was it kind of over the top? Yeah, but it wasn't looking back egregious. I think it kind of fit with the film. So it didn't take, I wasn't taken aback or thought, oh, they just threw this in there to have it. 
Mm. No, I mean, there, was I, plenty, there was plenty of there was plenty of that kind of sexual energy whenever the vampires were gathering in a club. So it, I don't think they needed to add that. No, I, I I do think it was a little bit weird, but I saw where they were coming from. You know, also she does recover pretty quickly after he's taken quite a large amount of her blood, yeah. and I'm glad that they didn't make her a, they didn't make Blade and Karen a typical couple per se. You know, though we get right. the impression that Blade is so focused on his mission, he may as well be almost asexual. We can right. tell that she transitions pretty quickly from being rather frightened and anxious to fully embracing the mission. But she's also a badass in her own right. And especially when she takes care of Mercury, who is Frost's lover. Did you yeah. enjoy the relationship between Karen and Blade? Or would you have liked it to have been more of a love interest? No, I don't think that, I don't think it needed to be. I think that could have been something, had they brought her back, that they could have brought into the scene. I mean, I think, you know, I think there was a lot going on, especially for this first movie that they had to cover in the time period, that that would have just taken away from something else. And, you know, I, I didn't think they needed to do it just because of, you know, maybe that would have been the next, I don't want to say crack in his armor. He kind of showed one when he, oops, excuse me, he kind of showed one when he didn't just kill her because she was bitten and then, you know, kind of took her back and tried to cure her because she reminded him of his mother. Um, you know, I just think there was, there would have been an opportunity to explore that in greater detail further down the line if that's where they would have chosen the god. I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the relationship that we had in Constantine, you know, where the detective and Constantine, yeah. there was the sexual tension, but they didn't make anything of it. They were just partners. And I thought it worked right. here, here as well. So um, let's get to the darker side of the spectrum. And I actually thought we could start with Deacon Frost's sidekick, the man that you can slice, <laughs> you can dice, but he just keeps on coming, Donald Logue as Quinn whom we had met on this podcast playing another sidekick who was Mac in Ghost Rider. Now, uh -huh. when it comes to, to the character of Quinn and also Donald Logue, are you a fan of the actor? And what did you think of Quinn? I do like him. Um, I, I liked him in, the, the, was it the Tao of Steve that he started? Uh -huh. I mean, I, I thought he's good. I think, you know, I think he's charismatic. I think if there was one character in this that was like too ridiculously over the top, it was kind of Quinn. Although I see where he needed to be and why he needed to be that way. Um, I liked him. Was I in love with it? No, but it was, you know, he's there. Um, but, you know, someone has to be that kind of antagonist that isn't cold and calculating. That's just the out of control guy. And so that's, that's who he played. You know, it's a, it, it was okay. Wasn't, was it my favorite? No. Was it bad? No. Was it pretty good? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I like you, you know, I always enjoy Donald Logue, you know, be it Ghost Rider, Gotham, and it's no different here in Blade, you know, though oh, yeah. in this case, you know, he is a villain, you know, I've mostly seen him as a hero. I thought he was, like you say, a fun character, and it makes you wonder, though, why Frost keeps him around, as right. he is clearly incompetent and ends up worse off every single time he encounters Blade. Uh, right. I got, you know, I, this was the impression I got. I kind of got the impression that he and Frost may go way back and heck they may have actually been friends before being turned and right. so maybe that has endured and remained that that you know the way it is or rather than a friend you can tell that here that frost is incredibly self-aggrandizing and self-centered and seems to love to be adulated and i think right. quinn is very much a fan of deacons 
to the point where he's just happy about being along for the ride, enjoys what he does and finds himself now hanging out with these cool kids, as it were. And I, I don't sure. think, you know, I don't think he ever wants to replace Deacon, but probably wants to be him and sees him as something he could possibly aspire to, you know, a, a goon with dreams, if you sure. will. Uh, did you actually like the, the relationship that we got or some of the relationship we got between Quinn and Deacon? Yeah, I mean, I, I I do, and I and I think that you know he might be the guy. I don't think he's as as inept as maybe I don't want to say you portrayed him, or as maybe we think he is. He's just that guy that has a same or similar belief to what Deacon Frost is. Is like you know the the vampires have been doing this things away for for centuries or millennia. To, to, to get along with the humans. And Deacon is very like, you know, very much like a Voldemort or a Grindelwald where it's like, we're the superior species. We should be on top, even though we have some serious flaws and can be killed by the quote unquote humans or the, the you know, the, the uh, muggles or nomages, nomages, whatever, however you want to put it. And he's rebelling against that, 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 uh, archetypal, uh, uh, the you know the, the the way that the vampires are living, and I think Quinn embraces that as well. And so I think they they are partners in that in that aspect. And you know, I I, I think there, it's obvious that people respect Quinn because he always has bunches of people that do what he bids. So yeah. either he's a lieutenant for some reason, whether it's just favoritism or the fact that he's actually bad you know bad enough to do it. So I don't yeah. know. It, that, that, you do make a good point there, for sure. I mean, I, it could very well be that, you know. And from Quinn, here's a rather a rather odd character, at least one of the, of the older characters for me, who I found tough to get my head around. Sanaa Lathan as Vanessa Brooks, or rather, Blade's mom. Uh-huh. Our listeners may know her as being the voice of Donna Tubbs in Family Guy and The Cleveland Show. She was in Alien vs. Predator, Brown Sugar, and also The Family That Preys. So when it came to the character of Mama Blade, let's say, what did you think of this character? Like the necessary to be there, but I, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't really given it that much thought. Um, I thought, you know, she was there. Okay, it's great. It wasn't really, to me, it wasn't significant other than that was just there. So, mm. You know, because I thought she was very odd as, you know, I was kind of wondering is if you get turned into a vampire, do you automatically become evil? Because, you know, in this right. case, I did find that the scenes between her and Blade were rather creepy. And I'm assuming that was Norrington's intent, you know, as it just seemed rather strange. As you think that rather than being against your son, you would want to help him, not to right. mention they've been apart for countless years and you may want to somehow reconnect with him or heck even try to coax him into coming over to the dark side. And so right. I felt they could have possibly done a little more with the character. And yes, you know, it did seem, it did, I found it rather nasty that she was one of Deacon's lovers. Though, <laughs> you know, Blade doesn't hesitate in killing her. And I suppose to a certain extent, I'm glad we didn't get that typical trait of the main character hesitating when they're confronted with somebody they loved or cared for who turned right. evil. So... That was, that's at least my thought on that stereotype, you know, because I'm sure you've seen this in multiple films where, you know, you have somebody turn evil and the, the, the hero kind of uh, hesitates and then a whole fight ensues. Right. Well, you got to have that dramatic pause and give the, you know, give that, 
have that uh, that choice that the hero has to make. You know, do I save this person? Do I do this? How do I treat this person that was important to me? And how the, and how you go forward? And Blade just kind of does it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know about what it does to people. I mean, obviously having that thirst and having that thirst be all consuming may change the way you view things. But then there also seems to be vampires, especially like on the council, that are very cool-headed and very together um, and, and understand where they need to be, whether it's right, wrong, good, or bad. It, it doesn't seem like they're just out killing people and doing that, that they have a purpose to exist. And so where Deacon Frost and his group do not, they're just decadent and they're the ones that are out there doing all this crazy stuff. Yeah, very very true. And so let's get to the main villain of this blood-soaked flick, Stephen Dorff as Deacon Frost. Our listeners might know him from True Detective, The Power of One, and also Space Truckers. So what did you think of our of our big bads, Chris? Um, you know what? I I I like it. Um I I like I, I find myself with with him as an actor kind of going back and forth because he he's I don't want to say one-dimensional. That is not the way I want to do it, but I very much stereotyped him into that Deacon Frost kind of character. Um, and he he's very intense. I mean, his close-ups and all that stuff, the, the, the issue I have with him being the big bad, quote-unquote, is that he's not very big. And so I think he lacks some of that physical... Um, you know, that, that physical dominance, although his acting really, I thought, did a good job with it. So, I mean, you know, I think he, you know, I think he was the guy that had, um, you know, he had a, a definite vision about what he wanted and what he thought and was very consumed with getting it and, and was very myopic in that. And, you know, I don't want to say I respect, I would, I respect that, but I think that lended to his character. Mm. Well, I, I, I do agree with you because I think granted the character is rather different from the comics as in the comics, he's a middle-aged gentleman who has a rather interesting power, which I think they could have kept, which is that anybody he turns would then generate a doppelganger, which would be under his control. Oh, wow. So hence, he would then create an instant army under his control. So that could have been an interesting power to explore in the movie as well, though, you know, if they decide to go different routes. Although, just like his comic counterpart, Deacon does retain that hunger for power and wanting, in this case, to bond with the blood god La Magra in order to rule vampires and ostensibly the world. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but what I got, the kind of vibe I got from him is kind of a vampire hipster. You know, right. He has zero respect for the leaders of the various vampire houses and kind of sees them as maybe an angry teenager would view his parents as, you know, they're so uncool and they don't understand him. And uh, so at the same time, you know, aside from being rather bratty, we can see that behind that cocky facade, he's think his superpower is more that he's very devious. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's quite the intellect that he possesses. You know, he's, he's a good villain for Bladers more, I think, on an intellectual level, as he kind of, you know, as a lot of good villains tend to be the mirror opposite of the hero. And I think he very much represents Blade's dark side and the underlining reminder of what Blade could become if he did go to the dark side. Um, but you know, when we actually got then, you know, of course, then at the end of the film, we get the final showdown and Deacon ostensibly becomes, it bonds with the blood gods. Did you enjoy that kind of final showdown or did you think they could have done more with that? No, I think it was good. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to, I think the rest of the movie is so good that you, you know, 
I thought the ending was was appropriate. It was good, um, especially for the time with the special effects was was an excellent ending. Um, but it's it, it's hard in my my view is that the beginning the the other rest of the movie was so good that regardless of what ending you had, it may never live up to it. But it was it was good. It was really good. It was great. Um, you know, but it's hard to compare unbelievable and very good. Um, but it was it was good. It was satisfying. And then, like I said, at the end, you were just like, heck yeah, he did it. And that was it. So, you know, standing ovation. This is a great movie. Let's go. Can't wait for the next one. That was my feeling exactly, because right after the film, I thought to myself, you know, when I first watched it at the time, like, I can't wait for them to come out with a sequel, because this was just right. so cool. Uh, but maybe so, not a third, but it's okay. Mm, <laughs> that's, yeah, you make a good point. That's that's definitely a topic a topic for another time in Demon. Although, although I like, I mean, I like the third, I liked the characters, I liked kind of where it went, but, you know, again, it's always that, how do you make it better and improve upon what it was and you have to take it to the next level. So did they leap to the Dracula part too quick? Probably, but you know, it's okay. Hmm. No, true. True. I mean, I think all in all, it was, it was, it was a good trilogy as a whole. And so when it actually comes to though, this, this first installment, Chris, any final thoughts on the movie before we move forward? No, I think it's just, you know, I mean, if obviously we've talked about it, you're listening to it. And if you love it, it, it's a great movie. And I think revisiting it with the, you know, with the, the um, parameters now of what Marvel movies do and have meant, I think it needs to be appreciated more as, you know, one of, one of the many things that have allowed, um, you know, that have allowed Marvel movies to, to be what they are in our life right now. Um, like we mentioned earlier, I, I honestly believe that if this hadn't succeeded and made money, that Iron Man would have never gotten, you know, gotten the, the go-ahead like it did right away. Um, cause I think this funded a lot of what was going to happen with Marvel in the future. Um, it was a good test and, um, you know, Iron Man, the movie is fantastic. It's unbelievable. Obviously that set the whole stage for all of that superhero, um, line and the Avengers and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, I, I think that blade doesn't get appreciated as much. And a lot of the friends and I that talk about the beginnings of, of, of Marvel always go Iron Man and I go no blade. <laughs> you know, well, and, and the batman movies and you know even even those ridiculous ones um without those there's not there's none of that so they just did it very well yeah definitely always respect what came before people that's the moral of the story um i also wanted to mention that i do feel that in this film norrington and goya carry on that vein of the ties of modern vampire films you know, you know they have the whole tie of darkness and sexiness as it were and i thought it was no surprise that you know though she was on very briefly we did get ex-porn star and dj tracy lords yes who had a brief career as an electro music artist and you know aside from of course having been a sex set icon her album one thousand fires was actually out at the time it's actually out of print now folks if you're looking for it i'm sorry <laughs> to say but um it's not actually that bad i listened to it on i found it online i listened to it it's not bad, and it may have been the reason why she was cast in this film. As the album came out like three years before the movie, and it enjoyed right. Billboard's success, so 
And also, I think the trip hop, electro hip hop kind of music works for this film. Now, speaking actually of that music, were you a fan? Are you a fan of the electro or hip hop or trip hop music? Um, again, I enjoy it. Is it my thing? No, I'm a little bit older. So even when this movie came out, I was in my mid 30s. So that kind of scene was not what I was into. Although, you know, the allure of it, I mean, it's, is it sexy? Yes, it's ridiculously sexy. Um, so, I mean, people want to, you know, it's going to gravitate towards all sorts of, you know, all sorts of people and, 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 and lend itself to that. Um, so I enjoyed it. I mean, was I moved by it? Yeah, I, I liked it. I think the, the 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 music was actually a perfect fit for the film indeed. And like I mentioned earlier, I thought it was a shame that Prodigy didn't get to do any music for this because it would have just been out of this world. But that the soundtrack notes aside, let's get to ratings here, Chris. Where does this movie rate for you on a scale of one to ten? Uh, I'm going to give it a solid eight or nine. Um, is it is it epic? No, but it's great, and I think it's really really good, really 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 good. And it's a must-see anytime it's on TV for me. I will definitely echo your thoughts. I'm also going to give this an 8 out of 10, as I still very much enjoy this film. The fight scenes are well choreographed. Wesley's martial arts skills are very much showcased. And let's face it, he's a badass. Not yeah. to mention, I enjoyed the story, the atmosphere, and Chris Christopherson. So always a good time to revisit this film. Now, I'm sure you've heard, Chris, that a new Blade film is in the making with Mahershala Ali as Blade. Yep. What, you know, what are your predictions or what do you expect and hope we will get from this new Blade film or maybe series of films? Well, I, you know what? I think he is very much a character and the characters that he has portrayed are very much along that same kind of line, like you know, the Wesley Snipes Blade. Um, I think that uh, I think he'll do a good job. He's a, a, a very talented actor. And so I hope he you know has some kind of spin on it and makes it different. But I also hope that he kind of stays true to the what that you know the movie Blade was, um, or you know gets the, gets the essence of it without having it to be just a regurgitation of it. I'm I too I'm hoping that as well because we know that Mahershal Ali is like you said is definitely a very accomplished actor. I really enjoyed him in in the Luke Cage TV series, right. uh, and he's 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 definitely a fan, fantastic and definitely is very charismatic. So I think they chose the right man for the job. I'm actually hoping that we might even get a Wesley Snipes cameo in the film. I think that would be kind of cool. That would be cool if they could work him in there somehow. That would be that would be really neat. So. Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of Blade fans are certainly hoping for that. And I think it's going to be a, a very promising movie indeed. And so from the movie to the printed page here, Chris, um, did you ever get a chance to read any any Blade stories comic book wise or, um, uh, or, or, or or do you still need some reading instructions in that sense? No, I don't. You know what? I'm not. I just am not. I, I just am not a comic book guy. I read um, a lot. So I'll read a lot of series, but I don't. I just don't do a lot of comic books. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time, so that's I don't. That's not just where I spend my energy. But so. from from the what I understand and the people that I know, they love the comic book and they they love the character. So yeah, I respect them on that. Right. Well, then I, you know, when it comes to me, I was a huge fan of, of Blade in the comics as well. And so here are a few reading recommendations for those who do want to find out a little bit more about Blade on paper. First up, I would suggest Blade, Blood and Chaos from 97 to 98 by Mark Andreco and Bart Sears. It collects Blade, Sins of the Father, 
Blade issues one through three and Blade issues one through six and one and a half from 99. In this story, Blade is back slashing his way through all sorts of bloodsuckers. The day Walker finds himself in the middle of an undead gang war when a vampire mafia Don's daughter seeks vengeance for the sins of her father and Blade is her weapon of choice. Meanwhile, in New Orleans, Morbius the living vampire is drawn into a dark and deadly plot. But how does this convert with a branch of S.H.I.E.L.D. called Silver Eye, which plans to deal with vampires and other creatures of the night? So definitely check out Blade, Blood and Chaos. And also, I would suggest Blade Undead Again, which collects Blade's issues 1 through 12. This 12-issue maxi-series by Mark Guggenheim and Howard Chaikin takes a look back at Blade's origin story and presents it in a new light with new details and information. The series tells a great story about the character, but isn't filled with much action, folks, but it makes for a great read for fans of the characters who, the character who wants to learn more about him. That's Blade Undead again. So, Chris, we selflessly promoted stories. Let's get to shameless self-promotion. When it comes to you and what you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Absolutely. Um, well, I am uh, a regular contributor to a podcast called Disturbed. It's at... Uh, disturbed uh underscore pod um i'm also uh can be found at blue box cafe or blue box cafe 176 on social media excellent well we definitely suggest you check those out folks it's definitely worth your time and if you want to be like chris and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice feel free to shoot us an email at happiness and darkness how at gmail.com we also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show you can reach out to us with those also at happiness and darkness how at gmail.com and we'll read them out here on the show Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Him Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and are feeling generous, you can hit the donate button on soundcloud.com slash whiskey and cigarettes or become patrons of ours on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness. We really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with, or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. Also, as always, we want to thank our video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Facebook page. Be sure to subscribe to his Nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. And speaking of things to come, next week we'll be joined by Molly Southgate to discuss the 2019 David F. Sandberg film Shazam! That said, when it comes to you, Chris, once again, I look forward to having you back here on Happiness and Darkness, and I certainly thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, the pleasure was certainly ours. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Molly Southgate and Shazam. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. <laughs> <laughs>